What's up guys, my name is Stino and I want to welcome you to the Exitazo channel where we investigate and examine the complexities of Christianity. Hope you enjoy the upcoming discussion. The Exitazo Bible Study, going over Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and I'm with my great friend Kyle. Hello, good afternoon. Are you ready to do this? Yes sir, I love Ecclesiastes. I am super stoked to get up into this dude. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, we're in chapter 9. And the first section is verses 1 through 10. And I decided to name this Death, the Great Equalizer. Yeah. Oh, that was a fitting um, title. Mm-hmm. You know how I like my titles. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's, um, like, it's like divine headings in the Bible. Almost. Yeah. I really do enjoy it, actually. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's actually, it's actually a lot of fun for me. Um, but... Do you want to read it? Do you want to check it out? Or do, do you want me to do read it? Do you want your version or, or the King James version? That might be some, that might be kind of hard for some people. Okay. Here, I, I'll, I'll, or do you want to read I'll read version? your version. Yeah, I'll right. read whatever version you my, want. My version is the NLT, the New Living Translation. All right, NLT. All right, so Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is, ho- there is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Sheesh, dude. That is, that's dark. It's dark. Yeah, it's dark. It's It's dark and then, yeah, it's real. That's definitely the case. Yeah. Like he What just what's your like your first thoughts on that? The one uh verse one I think is very powerful because a lot of people kind of worry about the effect of the actions that they have. Mm-hmm. And like it's almost like through their own action they also want to control the result of their actions. Like, they want their good intent to make the action have a good effect. When really, in verse 1, it says that you will not know that. And so it's the idea that you should do something for the sake of it being good, rather than for just a good result. Hmm. So if you sit there and you give yourself anxiety over the result of whatever action you're taking, this is telling you, don't worry about that. It's in the hand of God. Yeah. That's pretty good. So, uh, I guess I'll just get into... Do you want to just do it like we normally do it? Yeah, hit it up. All right. Um, So, this is the stuff that I got. 
Um, so in chapter 9, the teacher continues on his rant of inequalities from chapter 8, but here he seems to push the topic a little further, all the way to the very thing that seems to make everything perfectly balanced in this massive mess of a world. And he sees that, in the end, as death. Here he paints death as the ultimate equalizer, the one that truly has no bias to the wise or to the unwise, to the religious or to the non-religious, no matter what happens, all encounter death in the end. After speaking about the great equalizer, the teacher in this book specifically, in verses 4 through 6, begins to talk about, in some sense, the glory in living. In other words, it could be understood that the very concept of death begins to make everything slightly more beautiful and the pain more bearable. In these few verses is also the only time he brings up hope directly rather than just cleaning at it. I thought that was kind of interesting, and that's mm-hmm. why I added that part, because I think this does bring back the notion of, like, the fact that we are going to die makes mm-hmm. everything more beautiful. You know what I mean? Like the uh, tran- transience of something makes it beautiful, like yeah. a flower wilts, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you know yeah. It, yeah, just like that, yeah. I forgot what movie I've heard that from. I feel like I've heard that from like so many different things. The quote I remember is that, and this is not, this is not blasphemy. Well, it is blasphemy, but I'm not trying to say it like it's true. It's like something that like the gods envy us because our time is limited. Yeah. Bre- I, that's Brad from Pitt. Troy. Yeah, that's yeah, from, Troy. from Troy. Brad Pitt. Yeah. 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 Dang, dude. It is definitely something interesting to think about though. I do not think that. God, I mean, well, I do not think that God yeah, envies that. Yeah, no. of course. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that either. But as as like a thought, you yeah. know, exercise, I think it's definitely something interesting to think about. Some small commentary that I found um, from Murphy's commentary um, from page ninety one. He says in the. Ancient Near East, people despised wild dogs, and they honored lions. Mm -hmm. Solomon's point was that it is better to be alive and have no honor than dead and receive honor, because the living also has consciousness and hope. The living can enjoy life, but the dead cannot. Mm -hmm. And he also said basically the same thing that I said, pretty much that this is the one time he like explicitly like brings up hope inside the book. Where it's like living itself has a value. Mm -hmm. And... That is a good point that you make about uh, the dog comparison, because that also can remind us of, uh, I can't remember who it was who came to Jesus, and I think she was a Gentile. And he's like, why are you here? And she was like, even dogs eat the scraps of the table. And so that should tell you so much more of like what that lady is saying with that cultural context when she's saying even dogs can eat at the table. Or the other verse um, in the New Testament that says, a dog returning to its vomit Mm. when... You're talking about a saved person going back to a life of sin afterwards. Like, those insults ring so much more when you understand the cultural context of dogs in this case. Because, yeah, they were not not the man's best friend that we know them today. Dang, dude. That is like... Oh my goodness, dude! That that does make it much much deeper. I didn't even think of those verses. I should have brought. I should have thought about those. Well, the other. I mean, if you want to talk about transience, you know, or flowers of the field, like that goes right to James chapter one. Yeah, but that also goes to Matthew a little bit and the too. equalizer. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, or I, I'm pretty sure it's in the Gospel of Matthew where like Jesus talks about you know they're here the next and then they're inside the furnace the you know the other day or something like that i'm trying to remember that yeah I, let me try to find yeah, it yeah you try to find it. I'll, t- I'll tell you james though I'll, I'll throw james in here yeah i'm gonna try to find it and actually read it yeah yeah so james chapter one for the idea of the transience or death being like a great equalizer like the new testament version of this 
can be uh, in, found in James chapter 1. So James chapter 1, verse 9 says, let the, well, and here's my version, so be careful, everybody, King James. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun, uh, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but withers the grass and the flower thereof falls, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So shall all the rich man fade away in his ways. And so that's like the idea of like in death you will find that everybody's equal. And so in that, those who are high in the earthly sense will be made low, and the low will be made high because of that equalization concept that he talks about in James. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. It's interesting, though, because in this book, it being into the Old Testament, it hasn't quite gotten there. Correct. It's like like an evolution of this concept, I would think. Yeah. It's just stopped in seeing death as just the end result. Correct. That's it. Nothing more, no, nothing further, nothing less. Mm-hmm. It is just, it is. Which I think is like very fascinating. Yes. I'm still trying to find Kingdom concept verse. as opposed to just dark nothingness that we get in Ecclesiastes. I'm trying to find it. There's furnace. something with the... The furnace, the word furnace is in it of, of the verse you're thinking of. I okay, yes, sure. here it is. Okay, so um, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food and barns for you for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are can all your worries add a single moment to your life and why worry about your clothing look at the lilies of the field and how they grow they don't work or make their clothing yet solomon in all his glory does not dress as beautifully as they are. And that's Solomon right there. Yeah. Yeah. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, Mm -hmm. he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So that's the verse I was actually talking about right there. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's interesting because that also goes to kind of, I think it kind of connects to what you were talking about with the... Transients, yeah. Yeah, with the transients. But in another sense, it's telling us to not worry about it. 100%. You know? Just like the verse one parts. Take, yeah. take the anxiety out of what you're worried about. Yeah. Like, because somebody could worry about the effect of their work on earth mm-hmm. as far as being like, will I be able to eat tomorrow? Well, I need to store up money for tomorrow so that I can be able to eat. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about any of these things. Yeah. Like, the lilies of the field supply themselves. But guess what? The lilies still do die, yeah. but they don't worry about it. Because he yeah. says, worrying about it does not add a day yeah. to your life at all. Technically, it probably lowers it, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Mental health. Yeah, <laughs> mental health-wise, yeah. That's just so interesting, though, because it's like, when you look at certain things in Proverbs, though, it does talk about preparing and, you know, you know, um, not just preparing, but I guess kind of like staying in the know, you know, creating backup plans, I guess, you know. Does that, like, kind of make sense? You're missing me on that one. I'll be honest with you. You're missing me on that one. So I feel like in Proverbs, it talks about being wise and preparing. You Correct. Know? I know that part. Doing yeah. things not like having a plan. Okay. Does that make sense? And I feel, like invo- I feel like when you have a plan, there is backup plans involved in that plan. Because I feel like that would just be a wise plan. If something goes wrong, you have a backup plan to help with hmm. miti- mitigating the, the drawbacks. Okay. I'm trying to imagine that one. 
So I feel like it's like a it's a balance. I could be wrong though. I could be wrong. It's just something that I'm thinking about. Well, that's just like touching on the concept of like when people like you have people who are very plan oriented, and so like they try to think about God when they're making plans, versus people who would say more of like living by faith and like not planning anything and allowing things to fall as they may. Yeah. And I think those are two different types of yeah. believers. But they're both believers for sure. Oh, yeah. But it's just like, I think there's an equivalence to both of them. Even though I'm a planner person, I respect the people who are like, no, just I didn't. Just go with the flow. I didn't plan it. This all flows. God provided all that stuff. And I'm like, that's amazing and scary for me because that's where I come from. Yeah. I'm a planner. So I like, I like having godly plans. So I'm on your side on that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So um, we'll move on to verses 7 through 9. Um, so in verses 7 through 9, we see the teacher um, inside of Ecclesiastes bring up the concept of, once again, carpe diem, the Latin term for um, uh, to enjoy a moment. Um, here, unlike the other times, though, he has brought up this concept. He gives further information, being more precise in his language. Um, and in this aspect, in verses 7 through 9, he specifically refers to luxuries as well as the necessities of life. Yes. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but this actually connects to, I believe, in chapter 5, where he talks about wealth. Enjoy yeah. your wealth. But in this chapter, within these verses, he's more precise. He doesn't just say wealth, because I feel like wealth can be very broad. Here he goes in more depth, talking about, you know, bringing up cologne. And bring up enjoying your wife. Fancy clothes. Yeah, fancy clothes. All that stuff. Which I think is pretty cool because he's getting more detailed. And if you notice too, he's doing that all throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Through the whole book, he like starts off very broad with huge ideas. And then he like begins to like zone in on them. Mm-hmm. You know? Like precisely and i see that actually right here he's getting more and more precise with all of his words yeah this concept of like evolution of the of the same phrase where it says like live joyfully or like you know be happy all the rest of the days of your life uh what does it say in chapter one that's like where the first one starts if i remember right uh or chapter two like there's nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink like stuff like that that's what he always says and the same phrase is repeated over all these chapters but like to me it's the idea of like okay you just hold that as a place marker and then you put all those phrases like together and then you see like the whole picture of what he's painting is what I see. Mm. Like he's getting more detailed as he goes down the line. Yes, it's like layers of a cake. It's like a really broad base and then he's building it up all the way to showing you like the pinnacle of what he's trying to talk about. That's really cool. But you have to put the layer cake together. You have to find each of them. It's like a little scavenger hunt through scripture. I like that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Man, dude. It's it's so it's so fascinating how all of how these people back then just were such great, you know, literary masters, wordsmiths. Yeah, like for real. Like this is like honestly, it's very beautiful, beautiful to read. Rap God. Um. So but now literally. we have in verse ten, we see a well done picture painted for us on how it will be to die. Now, as the teacher says, there will be no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom. The Hebrew word for grave is Sheol. This Hebrew word is traditionally translated as the word hell, which could be found 65 times in the Hebrew Bible 
and of the Greek word Hades used 26 times in the Apocrypha and 10 times in the New Testament. Now, both Sheol and Hades refer to a general dwelling place of souls after death. It was also called the pit, the bottomless place, or the lower parts. Sheol was regarded in Israel as the dwelling place of all of the dead, also independent of their character. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I was reading this, I found this very interesting, mm-hmm. how it didn't even really like matter your character or like what you did, but yeah. you still went to the grave, mm-hmm. which I think... I think we would have a good time talking about that, and I think we should. Um, but to show other scriptures that kind of point to that, you see in Genesis chapter 37, verse 35, it says, His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave, or in Hebrew, Sheol, mourning for my son. He would say, and then he would weep. Then you also see in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 through 23, It says, David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. What? Mm -hmm. Dude, that's it. I think that's just so fascinating right there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Dude, that's like, that blows my mind. But no, like, this is, this is like some really interesting things. Like, um, the fact that anyone can go there. And by the way, if you're wondering where I, I've got that information from, um, it's from the Oxford Companion to the Bible by Bruce Metzger and uh, I forgot the other guy's name, but his last name is Kogan, um, 1993 edition. Um, so yeah, but dude, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's very fascinating to me. And then you notice how, um, it's also referred to as the pit, the bottomless place, the lower parts. You remember talking about that from yeah, yeah, yeah. the book of Jonah? Oh, yeah. We in the, we in the dude, depths. The depths of the depths. Dude, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Because this can possibly be like a link to the book of Jonah. Could. I mean, maybe. I have no idea. Could. It could, maybe. I, the, the feeling I get from, from that passage in Second Samuel is you notice that, at least how David phrases it, one, there's nothing that David can do to, like, reach him anymore. Mm-hmm. But, like, at least as far as, like, fasting or bringing about any good for the child after the child's already dead, like, it's over. Like, it's done. But David says he'll go to him one day, as in he will join him there. Yet, it, taking that concept, it makes it, it makes a death a one-way street. It does. But we know someone who has made it a two-way street. Yes. And so this is another like deep, ingrained cultural relevance to the idea of like how powerful the idea of resurrection is. And this is just fascinating. Because it reverses too. that. Yeah, it does. It completely reverses it. What's interesting, though, too, is... I feel like some of these are tied to like Greek mythology a little bit, like the names, like Sheol. Well, no, not Sheol, but Hades. Oh, I mean, for well, example, yeah, for sure, Hades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also have like I th- I'm pretty sure, like in the New Testament. I'm, uh, I could, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure, in, like I think it's in First or Second Peter, one of those one of the letters. Or it Reve- names Revelation hell. is Revelation has Hades in it. I think. Yeah, it does. But but check this out though. I'm pretty sure 
I'm pretty sure somewhere in the New Testament, I can't remember, but somewhere in the New Testament, it references hell or Sheol as Tartarus. Which I find very interesting too. I don't got that one on my head. I would think about it. It would have to, it would have to be at one of the ends of an epistle. Because it sounds like that's talking about the end times for sure. Here, I'm going to look up where that one place is. Get it up. Tartarus. Yep, it's in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, or Tartarus, in gloomy pits of darkness. Where they are being held until the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. That is very fascinating. But back to the concept with... Sheol in the grave, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that kind of also calls straight back to um, Genesis, technically. Which part? Specifically the part where, you know, uh, God creates man out of the dust of the earth. Okay, okay. You know, going to the grave, you know, when you go to the grave, you're you're dissipated into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. You basically return. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very fascinating, too, because this seems like the word i think in a way this does connect to um uh jonah because um i guess i'll just do a refresher but like basically like the 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 cosmological framework of jonah is basically where i mean i could be wrong but this is from from the research that i've done Mm -hmm. is basically it was like a great hill yeah mount zion or eden was on a hill and that's where God dwelled, God the Father and Adam and Eve, and, you know, before the fall, they dwelled. And then you had, when you went below that, you had the ground, everything normal, and then beneath that were the depths. Yes. Because yeah, the earth was that. on pillars, mm-hmm. right? And then beneath the depths, or what was in the depths, was the Leviathan, mm. the great serpent, you know? So the very fact... Inside Jonah chapter 1, you see him taking this downward spiral, downward spiral, farther and farther away from God, you know, because he flees the Lord, he flees from the Lord, and he goes down to Joppa, down to Tarshish, down into the innermost parts of the ship, and he keeps going further and further down, and then he goes into the sea, he gets thrown into the sea, and then he gets thrown into the belly of the beast which we then find out that could also possibly get connected to the Leviathan. Yeah. So he is even farther. It's like a picture that the Jewish writers are trying to make for us where he is even farther away from God. Not only down in the depths, but down yeah, in the depths yeah, like of he is, the Leviathan yes. that is in the depths. Yes. Yeah. So he is as possibly far you can get. Like if you want to get the farthest away from God, he is the farthest you can get. Mm-hmm. Metaphorically speaking, I guess. Like that is crazy. Yeah. And so What's interesting right here is, is Sheol is the grave, so I guess it's that dirt area, and that's where everyone's going. Yeah. Which makes it even more powerful when Jesus quotes from Jonah, and he goes past Sheol, technically. Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. I just think that's fascinating. That's, that's very, well, very he come, interesting. He comes back, though. And he comes he, back. He, make sure you include the coming yeah, yeah, back yeah, part. Yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he comes back. He comes back. <laughs> Goes Which around is, the moon and comes back. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you just get there. It's just, that's fascinating though to me. It's crazy how like all, the, all these different things can like interconnect. Yeah. The other thing with uh, 
to me, the idea of reaching it or death being the final balance and then the idea of like, there's no work there at all. Like there's no, what does it say? There's no work, no device, no knowledge, no nothing. Uh, if you combine that with the verse that's earlier in verses uh, five and six, uh, where it talks about like all of their emotions or feelings or envyings that they had, like those things, even those things fade away. Even these non-tangible conceptions of what their life was fade away, like eventually. Like maybe on their last day on earth, they made somebody very happy, like that happiness will fade, or they made somebody very angry, and that anger will fade. And when you combine that with verse 1, it's a, it, it really shows us where our actions are held, or, like, mm-hmm. or what we're entrusting our actions to and how they're received. We're trusting those to God. Because here's the deal. What I would tell somebody, once again, with, with how we started, was if somebody's concerned or anxiety or has anxiety about what they do if they hurt somebody or not. Like, guess what? Eventually, it's going to go away. How do you know that? Verse 6. Like, if you make somebody hate you and you're upset about that, eventually their hate for you will go away. So you shouldn't worry about it. You can make somebody happy for a time. You can save somebody's soul forever. But if you make somebody upset, that anger will fade. So you shouldn't be worried about that. Hmm. That's a good thought. It's really good. I'm just a person who worries who worries about upsetting people. So that's like my pep talk before I say stuff to people. It's like, Brett, if they get angry, they'll forget it eventually. Yeah, it or it's just like it you have an embarrassing uh, embarrassing story from school that you think mm-hmm. that like everybody remembers. You know, like, oh, I remember that day that like, I don't know, I fell on the playground or something like that. And like, oh, everybody reminds me as the kid who fell down on the playground, but like nobody remembers, mm-hmm. like nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> they all remember their own embarrassing stories, but yeah. not yours. Yeah. That's kind of how it is though. It's just not just that, but like a lot of things like yeah. prom queen. I don't even remember. Exactly. Dude, I don't even remember any stuff of that like stuff, that. Dude. It can be happy things too. Yeah. It'll fade. Yeah. It's crazy. But if they screwed somebody over to be prom king or prom queen. Right? I feel like they would still forget that. That's what I'm saying. They'll even forget that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you yeah. shouldn't even worry about it. But like when you do something like in God's will, like God will make sure that that stays is what I'm saying. Like when he's talking earlier in, well, in chapter it, one about like the earth being eternal in mm-hmm. a way, like comparatively to the human existence, like God can control what lasts and what doesn't last because the world's default setting is for things to go away, to entropy, to disintegrate. But God will preserve the things he wants to preserve. You see, I just thought about this though too. So okay. I don't want to say everything goes away. Because like okay. now I'm thinking of like, People who like go through like horrific things. Okay. Like, like for example, like let's say soldiers, you know, that sure. just went through war and now they have PTSD. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like I feel like I feel like that that will never go away. I'm I mean, I don't know. It could possibly go away. Oh well, I'm talking about like I'm talking about like it will go away after they're gone from Earth. Oh I'm okay. talking big Okay. Big picture. Super big. Because okay. here's the deal, even those feelings of PTSD and like the effect that those feelings have can affect their family. All right. So um, you said that we were transitioning. So we are now in 
verse the 11. next part of Ecclesiastes. So now in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we will be going over verses 11 through 12. I decided to title this section of the scripture, Time and Chance in the Grand Scheme of Life. You want me to read this one? Yeah, your turn. All right. So starting at verse 11, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. Oof. Yeah. All right. So these are some of the notes that I got um, on this section. Uh, so uh, the teacher here begins to bring up the concept of misfortune. Here the teacher clearly lays out that just because one may do the right thing or be in the right place, that does not always mean the right things will happen to him. It seems that the teacher within this book has examined all the negative exceptions within life and has realized that it that it almost measures up to the rule. So what I mean by that is that I feel like right here, if you were to compile a whole bunch of statistics, yeah, and then you were to literally compile within all those statistics, all the exceptions, mm. they would seem like they would almost measure up to the broad statistics, like what the statistics are basically trying to go against. Does okay. that make sense? So like break break that down a little bit. So what I mean by this is like, let's say for example, if you are disciplined and you raise your kids with principles, they will turn out to be really good kids. Proverbs, yeah. Proverbs, right? But even while doing that, your kid can end up being a crackhead. Okay. So they they would be the exception. They would the, be the yeah, they okay. would be that that kid end up being a crackhead, even though you as a parent did everything perfect. You you raised them well, you disciplined them, you didn't abuse them, you showed them love, you showed them care, you showed them attention, you showed them patience. You did everything right as a parent as you possibly could, but yet your par- but yet your child is still disrespectful, still, you know, whatever it is, doing drugs, gang banging, you know, skipping school, not trying to get a career, all that bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He would be the exception. Yeah. And what I'm saying is right here, it seems that... If you were to pile up all the exceptions in each category, it seems like they like level out. Does that make sense? Now I'm not saying it literally does, but I would say I feel like that's somewhat of the picture that he's slowly painting right here. Like like the exceptions are equ- like are equivalent to the to the There's good. There's so many exceptions to the point where it's almost equal to the majority. Does that make sense? So it's like a false majority then in that case almost. Basically like where it's saying like it doesn't matter if you have a plan cuz all plans go awry at some point. What is I'm saying what, what say? I'm saying is is that basically you might have a plan but yeah. all it takes is one bad day for that plan to mess up. Yeah. And now it's an exception. And now it's an exception. Okay. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, you literally could not even be in control. Like it literally it could be outside of your control and it just happens to you. I mean, I guess a perfect example of that would be Job. Sure. You know? I mean, we know everything that happened to Job. Dude lost his family, lost his health, lost his money, lost his livestock, lost his house. The dude couldn't even sleep without getting tormented. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
So what happened to him is horrible. That's a misfortune. Yeah. Yeah. I I look at it as like this verse is an answer to a lot of people when they're like, I had all my dominoes lined up correctly and the dominoes were falling. And then at some point, for some reason, one domino just like fell the wrong way. And I don't know what else I could have done. And like, they feel like a failure because their work did not succeed in like whatever they wanted to. And like, that's like in competitions, whether it's like competing for some sort of trophy or a championship and they don't win. And like, you know, they're sitting there beating themselves up. I think this is the verse for them where it's saying, hey, you know, you may be concerned with who is the best here. But you might be more concerned about winning than who is the best even, which is interesting because winning and being the best is not the same as what this verse says. If, Elaborate on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if I think that if I win a basketball championship that I'm the best basketball player, this verse is telling me that that may not necessarily be true because the best don't always win. So if I am pursuing a hobby or something and my only goal is to win, I'm going to be in trouble. If my goal is to be the best whatever I want to be, I can achieve that. I can be the best of whatever, but it will not always be winning because that's what this says. This says chance things happen. The best people don't always win. It's like if you have people playing chess and you have somebody who's way better than the other guy, right? He will end up winning most of the time because he is the best. Yeah. But every now and again, something's going to happen. There's going to be a chance error. Like a mistake will happen because mistakes happen. And the lesser player will win. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that lower player is now the best player. So it, it's, it's an encouragement to not beat yourself up if you don't end up seeing yourself at the top of whatever hierarchy you're competing in but to continue to hone your own craft at the same time. Because there is a chance that you could be at the top. Like, you might still be the best person, yeah. even with or without winning, right? You cannot guarantee winning, but you can try to guarantee being the best you that you can be for it. That's a lot more sure uh, goal. It's a better goal. Because a lot of people like winning. I know that. Like, people get addicted to that stuff. Yeah. But if you just try to be the best you, like, you may still end up winning. And that's great. Like, you will increase your chances for winning if you make yourself the best at something. But if you just obsess about winning, you'll end up burning yourself more than enjoying what you're doing. That's really good. I really like the way you broke that down. Because that's, like, also, like, really applicable to, like, I feel like people in everyday life. Rise and grinders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because when you put it like that, like, yeah, it it is probably better to just focus on yourself and just try to do better than yourself rather than constantly looking for the next person and be better than. Because honestly, when you think about that though, like even the people who do do that are like, they don't really seem satisfied. There you go. Yeah, the hunger. Yeah. You know, like I always like, I can't remember what basketball players it was or like, I think Michael Jordan might be one. Okay. To where like, he won like, you know, six championships, NBA championships. But, like, he was still hungry. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, like, it, they just needed more. You know? And it's like, when when is, when, Where have when you heard is that? enough enough? Where have you heard that? You heard that in chapter one? 
what chapter? Ecclesiastes chapter one. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, that's what oh, yeah, I, you're, you're right. rocking right into it, oh, Steve. Oh snap! You're a hundred percent right. Yeah. The eye is always seeing, and the ear is always hearing. Never filled. Yeah. The yeah. Eye never is never filled. filled with seeing. The ear is never filled with hearing. hearing. The stomach is never filled. You are always hungry. Yeah. Your desires are always grasping towards something. Ooh, we spitting bars out here? Yeah. Snap, dude. You heard that, man? So you got to look out to like what you're aligning your goals with. Yeah. That's pretty good, dude. Yeah. Dang, that's deep. Now, And like, then that kind of adds to Jesus when he's talking about guard your eye or guard your heart. Mm, dude, we out here preaching a little bit, man. Dang. It, it, it is a Bible podcast. Dude, that is, that is good, man. Sheesh. Man. Because, like, when you think, and then, like, also when it says guard your thoughts, because, like, when, if you don't guard your thoughts, then, like, your thoughts can end up turning into words, and then your words can lead into actions. Actions then get turned into habits, and mm-hmm. habits turn into lifestyles, which typically dictate your character. There you go. Which altered the whole course of your life. Yeah. But it all starts right there with your desires. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that we're hearing this from a book that talks about how life is somewhat meaningless or it's it's hevel smoke mm-hmm. hard to understand you know hard to grasp everything slipping through our fingers yeah that's i like that a lot yeah and there's another aspect of this like i haven't mentioned god in this cultural interpretation of this verse but if you think about it like this verse also encourages you to uh you know align your goal properly but it also should be that like you're not trusting in your own strength at the same time. Now, it's not trying to be contradictory to what I'm saying. It's like, don't believe that you are the end-all be-all in what you're doing, because guess what? The race is not always to the swift. Like if you're getting, you know, high off of your own hobby or whatever, just understand that like where this started in verse one is your works are not in your hands. Your works are in God's hands. And that's kind of what this is saying. It's, I'm not trying to claim that God is the chance factor that's talking in here. It's saying you should not be taking your self-worth, your self-value in your winning of something because that can be stripped from you at any time, pretty much. And so you should still be looking to God for your validation, for your actions on this earth. You don't need a trophy, man. You know, you need God's validation of the work ethic you put in to get that trophy. If you end up getting it, you know, you might yeah. not. You might just be happy with being a respected player, right? You it's are... all about that contentment. Yeah. Which Paul preaches a lot about. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder, though. If you have good intentions, is it bad to want more? If you're trying to use those things for good. Hmm. That's like uh, like a weird, I'm going to say something very odd here. That almost sounds like a righteous greed is what it is. Yeah, you know. It, but just saying that sounds terrible. It does. So I would be very careful Well, it's almost like righteous it. anger too. Yeah, I'm also, yeah, I reserve righteous anger for God usually. And I understand yeah, people can yeah. have it too, but yeah, yeah. It's it's really, it's. I think that's a very fascinating thing. But what's, what's so interesting though is that I think... I don't know, dude. I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Because, like, it's about being content. You True. Know, that, that that balance of knowing that you have enough in any situation. You know, that scripture inside Philippians that Paul preaches, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that verse that everyone takes out of context. There you go. You know, but it's talking about contentment. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, in the highest place, he's still content, not wanting more than he actually needs. Or I know in his hungry. lowest moments, yeah. you know, in his lowest moments where he barely has anything, but yet he's still content because he knows the Lord will provide. Yes. So I feel like with this contentment, you should have a picture of basically kind of what Ecclesiastes preaches. We kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, having open hands, carpe diem, you know, going through life with open hands, whatever comes, comes, whatever leaves, leaves, but I'm still going to be content with anything that happens Mm because the Lord will provide and the Lord will take away. Yes, and he's going into these different aspects with that same theme in mind. And so he's showing you with each of these things. Like in the previous chapters, like in chapter 6, he's saying, like, if you live a thousand years, if you have a large family, like, those things are great. They can Amazing. be great. They God can be awesome. God bless you with it, yeah. But don't, but, <gasps> don't, but, but don't let it take it with you. And this one is talking about, okay, you're a good competitor. You can win. You run swift. That's great. That's awesome. You're alive. Live it. But don't let it take you over, basically. This connects exactly back to, to Job. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Dude, it <laughs> connects back to Job. Because Job, he gets everything taken away from him. Exactly. But then in the end, he gets blessed. Yes. Ten times fold. Yeah. But yet we don't know why God does that to him. God doesn't even answer his question, which is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. God doesn't even answer his question. Do you under- Do you get that? God does not answer Job. And God even said Job was righteous. Yeah. Job didn't deserve not a single thing would happen to him. Nope. But yet, God took everything away and then gave it all back to him. There you go. I mean, that's where that not that where that comes from? I, I came out of the womb naked and I will return with nothing too, which also is reiterated in Ecclesiastes. Yeah, reiterated back in Ecclesiastes. This is all so fascinating how all these scriptures interconnect. It's like a brain. Yeah, connected. Yes. Yeah, neurological connections. Dude, yeah. okay. oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying this? This is phenomenal, <laughs> dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> dude. Yeah, he's, he's not allowed. <laughs> but like this, this is fascinating stuff because like I never noticed that inside the book of Job. Okay. Like I, I just never thought. I just I, in the end when everything got gave given to him, I was like. Okay, did he pass the test? But no, it's like, maybe it wasn't a test. As I say, was it a test? Yeah. You know? Maybe it wasn't a test in the first place. Maybe. In God's wisdom, he just felt like Job should have been blessed. And we just don't know why. I mean, I do, yeah. That is a generic opinion of of God that I hold is that like one thing you can say is whatever God does is just so whatever it is is just whether or not we interpret it as just or not like too which, bad which you know an atheist or an agnostic they would probably say well what if God slaughters like a thousand people and, and I'm stuff? like I don't know man and that's that's kind of where I say in chapter 9 verse 1 verse 1 verse 1 of chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes will worry some people I think like the initial taste what, what verse are you talking about chapter 9 verse 1 where it says uh, let me make sure I get your version so I don't scare people. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Chapter 9, verse 1. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. Like, this is like, this This can expect to chapter 2. But either way, what I'm saying is like, it's scary. It, that, that on first taste will scare some people because immediately control is taken out. Control is taken away 
from how their actions will be viewed. But, wait, 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 elaborate on that. Break that down. Yeah, yeah, because it says, it's talking about how the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, yes. right? So like, per se, I'm a, I'm a wise person or I'm a godly person and I do something and I want good to come from it, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe an earthly good comes from it, but God does not view it as good. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Because that's what this verse is saying. I no longer have control over if God favors what I'm doing right now or not. And like that can be scary for some people because people think, oh, I do good thing, good thing happen. But what this is telling you is you do good thing and you don't know what will happen. You do not know. And that on what I'm saying on very first taste scares people because they are no longer in control of the effect of their actions. But if you remember that God is just in all that he does and combine it with, I think it's Romans 8.28, God accomplishes all things for those who love him or for the good for all those who love him. Yes. Right? You have to remember that God loves you. And if, if the result of anything is to be put into anybody's hands for safekeeping, God's hands are the safest hands for it. And so on first taste, you're like, oh, no, the control is out of, out of, it's out of my control. Oh, wait, it's in the person who literally knows more than anybody ever. Okay, now I have peace with this verse. This, like, reminds me of suffering, the topic of suffering in the Bible. Because it's like, what is suffering? And I hear this so much, like, you know, like by Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson, I'm trying to think of like other like big, big names out there that like be talking about this type of stuff. You said his name and I feel like Richard Dawkins has talked about it a little bit, how basically Mm. religion is a metaphorical type of idea that helps us deal with suffering on this earth. Oh, okay. You know? Okay. But this is just interesting to me because it's like, I feel like first Peter talks about it a lot, suffering. Uh, the idea that it's for like the perfecting of your faith, it's, yeah, trying it's like, it like a fire. Yes, yes, yeah. it's the perfecting of your faith, but it's also something that you can do that is in common with Christ. True. Like that is something. It, it, it. Honestly, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe that it actually references it as one of the things like baptism. In which verse? Um, I don't remember if I'm I don't. Honest. I don't know the baptism part of it. Well, I know baptism is inside First and Second Peter. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like when you're reading First and Second Peter, though, it lays out things that Christians do that is in partnership with Christ. And what I mean by that is, is that there is certain things that believers do that makes them more one or closer with Christ, makes them more like Him. Mm-hmm. You know, the very fact that we eat communion. Jesus ate communion. That's something that we've done together. That's something that believers can say that I have done with Christ. I have that connection with Jesus. Getting baptized. Jesus got baptized. I got baptized. That's something me and Jesus have in common. That's something that makes me and him closer. And then you have the next part, which I feel like is talked about in First. First and Second Peter. I could be wrong, but last time I read it, this is I mean, I remember it heavily. And usually when I think of first and second Peter, I'm always thinking of like the verses that talk about marriage and children and stuff like that. But there was I remember when we were reading inside the North Church Bible plan, 
literally the whole thing was like about about suffering. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, I didn't realize how much suffering is in these two letters. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of and suffering they, in the whole Bible. Oh, I'll let yeah, you know. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but like explicitly talking about it though. Uh-huh. You know, like that doesn't. I feel like that doesn't happen as much. I mean, it happen. I feel like it's an event that happens to people. Suffering happening to people in the Bible. Yeah. But the topic of suffering getting talked about, I feel like okay. doesn't happen. I see. Yeah, that's a little bit less. You see, yeah, that can be like chastisement sometimes too. There's a little bit with chastisement and whether or not like. Um. But yeah, so that's the thing. Like, it's not explicitly the topic of suffering is like brought up. I would. I would. Yeah. I. You, I you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But in First and Second Peter, it is, and that right there is where suffering is tied to Jesus. That, like, that right there is something that connects us to Jesus. Yeah, you know what I mean. It makes us closer with Him. So rather than seeing suffering as a bad thing, you should see suffering as a good thing because it's not only what you said, you know, making you a better believer. You know, you know, not only disciplining you, but you know, making you stronger, making you, you know. Um, more resilient, yeah. you know, but you are taking part in something that Jesus also was a part of. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's probably even further when you get persecuted for your own faith. That's like, that's and like I think the number that's one. The main, yeah. that, that's the that's number, the number one. one thing, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's just extremely powerful when you think about it. Yeah. I, I feel like it lowers the weight for it, bearing it. I think it gives you like more of a role model for like how to handle suffering, right? Because yeah. the idea of Christ suffering is that Christ could have stopped it at any time. Yeah. Christ could have stopped it at any time. Any moment, yep. And he had people mocking him, saying, hey, stop this if, if you are who, you know, you said you are. Yeah. Pseudo said, whatever, however you want to say it, you know, you yeah. said thusly, you said it right is what he replies to them, you know? <laughs> uh but like just thinking about it at any moment that like you just like lower your hand and like you'll come off the cross, legions of angels like will come out, like wipe everybody out, and like mm. you're just fine. Like that could have happened. Just the amount of temptation like through that suffering time is crazy. And so like Sheesh. that's like having a role model in any sport. That's like saying Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan, whatever you want to say. Be like, I want to be like Mike. And, like, what are we called to be like? Like, Jesus. So, like, in suffering, you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's my MVP right there for, like, how to handle suffering. All right. So, now we will be going into the third section of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we will be reading verses 13 through 18. I named this section the parable of respect and wisdom. Gosh, dude, me and these titles, bro. Yeah. This is tough. Gosh, good. It's too good. Don't miss. All right, keep going. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, Let's see, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13. Here is another bit of wisdom that has impressed me, as I have watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor, wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised as if they were poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. And so ends chapter 9. Dang, dude. That's deep, dude. That's a good way to end something. 
So these are my thoughts. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. So this this gave me some trouble. Okay. I couldn't find a lot of information on this. About the random wise well, I mean part of it part of the verse says itself that literally people don't remember his words. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But like I would have thought like there would have been more like commentary on this thing or like just Oh, there really is more, isn't much more information. Well, I mean, from what I was finding, I was just like, this is just basic stuff. Like this is just like hmm. it's just I feel like simple stuff that anyone could get. Oh, well, then I might have something for you in a bit. That's what I'm talking about. You might like it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, my thoughts is that I think what this is, I think what's really cool about this passage right here is that I feel like it shows the advantages of wisdom, Mm -hmm. but at the same time showing the disadvantages of wisdom. Correct. You know what I'm saying? It It shows what wisdom is not made to do, is what I would say. Ooh. Yeah, look out. Okay. Look out. Okay. Okay. Okay, how about you unpack that? I was about to say, about, you, yeah, that, just, that just made go. you curious, just, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Just, I, I want to hear this. I want to hear right. this. So we're given, we're given this picture of a town, right? And this gigantic king with a massive army apparently comes in. And so there is just, what is implied is just a major power differential here, right? However, we are informed that the defense has wisdom, has the power known as wisdom. Wait, can you just say that again? I'm sorry. You have a tiny town okay. being besieged by a king with yep. a gigantic army is uh-huh. what we're given here. Yep. And so what you can be implied by that is that, like, with respect to the town, the army is massive. So there's a power differential between the king that is sieging it mm-hmm. and the town that is defending against the siege. But we're also given that the town has wisdom on its side. Wisdom as a defense would be a verse that could come to mind. And I don't remember the full verse, but you could paraphrase it somewhere. And so what we see is through this power differential, wisdom supplies the defense with enough power to fight against these uh, massive offensive powers. And so what I would say is that, like, wisdom itself is a defensive concept. Like, wisdom helps on defense. Wisdom does not necessarily help on offense. Wisdom's a better defense especially for the Christian in mind. Uh, this is very particular to, like, the Christian concept. Hmm. So wisdom is a defense, but then you ask yourself, what, what, is, what is our offense? Yeah, I was about to ask you, so what do you consider so wi- an offense? So wisdom is the shield, right? A good shield can turn into an offense, though. It can, but what's the Christian sword? The Bible. The Word. The Word, yeah. Exactly. So if you, oh, oh, did it just hit your brain? Look out. You feel me? I think I'm starting to get it. So if you want to go out, right? If if you want to go out and like, let's say, convert somebody, right? You don't hit them with wisdom to convert them. You hit them with the word to convert them. Now, if they come at you. You use wisdom. You use wisdom as a defense. Wisdom is a defensive construct. Just as Jesus did it. I feel that's exactly what he did. He used wisdom to get out of conversations with the Pharisees. But even further, guess what? What? Could Jesus be the little wise man in this town? Oh, snap! No way. No. In like the big, in the big, in the big grand scheme big of things, picture, I see what you're saying. It could be a mini story of the meta story. Who was poor? 
because guess what? He was Sheesh, despised. Dude. He was despised. Okay. 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 All right. All right. I'll see what you spin. Let's see what you draw, so, bro. We could say there's a king of this world, a prince of this world, who's out to get us. And he has great powers, because we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this world. Oh, snap. Yeah. But if we listen to this wise man, we will be kept safe. But at the same time, we can't just, like, take wisdom itself and use it to bash somebody, because it won't work. It doesn't, wisdom doesn't work that way. You don't ever see, you don't, if you picture the idea, the conception of wisdom, you don't sense some like aggressive, offensive person. You sense a person who's like secure and like founded or or grounded in something. Because what this, what this, what this section tells us, I think, is that wisdom is a defense. And there also is like a proverb that says wisdom is a good defense somewhere. I know that. So I think that's what this parable is showing you. So in that way, it's connecting the Proverbs. Yes, absolutely. Yes, 100% Proverbs. Yeah. That's where I'm surprised if other people haven't talked about it. Nobody's else talked about that? No, dude. I haven't seen nothing okay. like that, bro. I ain't never hear give, nothing like that. Give me the letters after my name then. I'm just kidding. Dude, <laughs> that was good, dude. I'm not going to lie. I don't even... Man. Like I said, I, I had something... Bro, it might be a little... That's con- good, dude. It might be a little conjecture, but like I think, it's, I think it fits. I think that fits. I would say I, th- I think that fits. Man. I mean, what I was saying, what I talked... I really like how you connected it to Jesus. I really, really like that. Me, I was more like just looking at it just empirically of itself. Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. You know? Because like that kind of goes to what I was saying. Like, you know, he has... It shows the value of wisdom, but it also shows the disadvantages of wisdom. You know, but it also shows how... He has enough wisdom to protect the whole city, but not enough wisdom to find wealth. Oh. He has enough wisdom to communicate and save a mass amount of people, but not enough wealth to be remembered. I mean, not enough wisdom to be remembered, hmm. which I thought was very fascinating. We got to be careful because like what we just read is like, is there enough wisdom to be remembered? What is, what is the amount of wisdom you need to be remembered? Does it exist? Solomon. For now. What do you mean for now? For He's now. remembered. For now. Dude, Solomon's like known all over. I know. I mean, literally, you have Shazam. What? Shazam? My bad, my bad. Let me, let me Hold elaborate. Hold Sh- Shazam, right? One of his powers is the wisdom of Solomon, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I mean, that just, that, that like picture right there is calling back to just the idea of how, how wise Solomon was. I know, but we only, that's only, it's only been like, you know, 3,000 years. Since <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's pause. You just said 3,000 years. Yeah. That's a long dang time. That's it, a long time. To whom? Maybe not to God. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. We're reading, we're reading God's word right now. That's a good point. I mean, that kind of goes back to the verse, a thousand it, days. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to tell you right now. That's it's what I'm like saying. Like, what do you mean? And a blink is like a thousand days. Yeah. Or a thousand years. Let's go. I guess that's a good point. I guess that's a good point. But, I mean, here's the deal. What you were saying about what I said earlier, like, reminds me even more. Like, when Jesus was ever, like, seemed to be on the offensive, like, what was he doing? He was quoting scripture. He was. And whenever he was correcting people that were using scripture. Correct. Like, what did he say to the devil? He said scripture back to him. Yep. Every time. When he was attacked by Pharisees sometimes, that's when he would use wisdom sometimes to flip 
the Pharisees' words against them. Yep. Like, it plays. I hadn't thought about that uh, until I said it, and then you said it. I was like, wait a second. That's that good. is how the sword and shield work here. Dang, dude. You digging this? This is fire, bro. Dang, this is some good stuff. I'm loving this, man. This is amazing. McDonald's. What? Wait, wait. I'm lost. I don't get the joke. Uh, I'm loving it. Oh, my God. See, this is this is this is the, yeah. Oh. <laughs> this is yeah. this is where I need Luther here because Luther would get it. Yeah, Luther, Luther like, would get it. Luther would laugh. Luther would laugh. I miss you, Luther. That joke went right over my head. So, yeah, Luther, if you're watching, we it, miss you, bro. No, it you got you got to point to that. For, for the record, it went it went under your head, not over your head. Don't don't give it too much weight. What? The joke the joke wasn't witty. The joke was like. Under witty, oh, so it goes yeah, under yeah, your yeah, head, yeah, yeah. not over. If it's a stupid joke, it goes under your head. If it's I've a just, complex joke, it goes under. You probably haven't. I've made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm taking you too serious right now. I got like it. I feel like I'm just taking. We just had a serious conversation. Now you're just turning it into like nothing but jokes. For every for every like smart thing I say, I have to say something just as dumb to keep in balance. So look out. Some of these are like dad jokes, though, dude. Oh, yeah. I know. Okay. Right. That's why they're under, because they're not good. <laughs> I just like bad jokes. Um, come back. Let's come back. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's get back to it. And let's, I returned. Let's get back to it. Um, I'm trying to find if I have any other... Um, uh, talk about the idea of sin crumbling down this wise man's, this wise man's efforts by... By one sinner destroying much good. Yeah. Yeah, hit that a up. A man may commit one sin, and this can destroy a lifetime of virtue. Yes, it can. That's facts, actually. Robbie Zacharias, anybody? For real, dude. That's what I don't know about it, but a lot of people, whenever people talk about like one thing screwing somebody up, everybody oh, says dude, Robbie Zacharias. Yeah, dude, and I'm like, what? No joke, dude. Yeah. It's no joke. I don't even know what's going on with Matt Chandler, dude. Have you heard of what happened with him? I don't follow anything, Stino. Dude, I don't even. I read the book, man. I just, I just heard, I just heard that like there was no like cheating or anything like that, but like just being too familiar. Uh, you know, it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. But yeah, there's like horrible stuff happening all the time though in churches. Well, not just churches, but just in, in everywhere. I feel like just anywhere is dealing with humans. Yeah. There's just there's be drama. Mistakes. Yeah, there's drama. Everywhere. There's gonna be mistakes just happening. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Sucks, dude. So I would need Jesus to hurry up and come back. I'm trying to find, um, there was another s- small comment that I wanted to put. No, not, uh, con- not Thomas, con- yeah. Thomas Constable. Yep. He said, clearly in this illustration, wisdom is better than strength, but even so, it does not guarantee a reward. People generally do not value wisdom as highly as wealth, even though wisdom is really worth more than wealth. Yeah. That's fact. And that's constantly repeated in Proverbs. The correct. That's what I was going to say. That's right out of Proverbs, but also right out of this chapter. Verse 11. It does not guarantee reward. Oh, yeah. You're Once right. again, you can, you can lay your yeah, plan out right. very well, very accurately. But then if that one domino doesn't fall right, now your plan falls apart and that actually connects to proverbs with it saying 
the man may make his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Hey, there we go. That was good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, like, that's the point right there. Yeah. Dang, dude. We're just seeing how it all interconnects with each other. Man, I really, I really wonder if there's any new information on the wisdom literature. I, I mean, there's more to be found, oh, apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because people ain't talking about this little wise man. Yeah. No, dude, for so. real, though. I mean, then again, though, I pro- I possibly could have just missed it, too. But, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So, so wh- how would you say, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from Ecclesiastes chapter 9? Oh, uh, verse 1, 100% verse 1. Verse 1. Everything, everything here stems out of verse 1, 110%. And I think a lot of the book actually can, too. Because this book paints the idea of the meaninglessness of life, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Like, you can either think yourself a prophet or you can think yourself a sinner. But don't worry, because all of your actions are in God's hands. And uh, let me think, what was it? If you, if you sit there and you worry about all the things that you are going to do, you are going to lower the amount of things that you can do generally. Because you're too busy spending energy worrying about something when you shouldn't worry about something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And that's right, exactly what verse 1 says. It's in God's hands, and you shouldn't worry about it being in God's hands because God is God and God is good. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Oh. My bad. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I like that a lot. So how, how does that, how, what would you say is like a good situation or like applicable way of putting that into into today's life today's life so say for me like i'm at work right and depending upon your job your job can have a number of effects on this world and you're getting paid to do your job and so you can think of the morality of whatever job you're doing right and you can worry about the ending effects of what your work product accomplishes whatever that is Uh I won't mention mine, but uh, (laughs) just whatever your work product is, you can worry about what that end work product is doing, or you can leave it to God and have God direct your steps. So Mm -hmm. if I'm getting the signal from God, like, you know, from, uh, from the Bible, from what I'm reading, from people around me, just from, you know, my circumstances that are pushing me out of my job, that's when I leave my job. Absolutely. If I feel like God's calling me from my job to go do something else. But if not, I work and I do the best of my ability at my job and I don't worry about the end effects of it. Because if not, we could worry about our end effects of our jobs all day and end up accomplishing nothing. So the old wise saying, show what you can, don't worry about what you can. Yep. Yeah, I would say that's a good takeaway from chapter 9, Ecclesiastes. Focus on what you can control, not what you can't. That's good. Good. Well, Kyle, it was a pleasure. Yes, it was fun. I love Ecclesiastes. I'll do this forever. Yep. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. I learned a lot, and it was absolutely amazing. Thanks for watching this discussion. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you guys in the next video. Peace.